You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. I'm delighted to be joined on this edition by a very special guest, formerly of the Islington Gazette, now of the Guna fanzine. It's Dan Mountney. Dan, welcome back to the show, mate. First of all, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Harry. Thanks for having me on. Uh, looking forward to talking all things Arsenal. Got, got a lot to talk about, haven't we? Yeah, we always have, don't we? Especially during the transfer. Yeah. Uh, it always seems to be like everything focuses in on Arsenal. Um, the the difficulty, of course, is is weeding out what is uh, what is genuine and what is uh, just transfer crap, really, because there is a lot of that uh, floating around at the moment. We're going to begin with the story that's broken uh, this afternoon with regards uh, to following Balogun. Now, uh, we know that his contract comes to to an end at the end of this current season. There's been a lot of reports uh, that he is off uh, in the summer because Arsenal seemingly are unable to guarantee him the game time that he wants. Uh, we heard... We've heard contradictory reports, I think, anyway, over the last sort of few weeks on this. He wasn't included, though, uh, in the FA Cup squad the other day. Dan, does that to you signify that the player is is likely to be off? Um, I think in terms of not being in the FA Cup squad, it was a bit of a surprise. But you've also got to look at it in the context of, um, you know, Arsenal judging by the league position, maybe won't have a lot to play for this season in terms of that. So they might be focusing a bit more on the cup competitions. Obviously, we saw Bamiyang start up front um, and Lacazette came on as well, of course. Um, and I think that was a case of getting a Bamiyang back into goal scoring form, which of course he did. And then Lacazette was there in case we needed him, which, you know, also we did. Um, so I think, yeah, it was as much as it was a bit of a surprise, it was kind of to be expected. Um, but it would be a shame to see, to see Balogun go, which looks like it might happen now. Yeah, for sure. And and we've read contradictory reports even just today. You know, in the space of a day, you can yeah. get two completely different reports. And I'm going to share these with you uh, on the screen for those of you watching us on YouTube at the moment. Don't worry if you're listening via the audio platforms. Uh, we will, of course, uh, sh- explain what it is that we're showing on the screen. So the first story that broke earlier today came from Football Insider, who say Arsenal sensation... Uh, agrees to join RB Leipzig. Arsenal sensation following Balogun has agreed in principle to join RB Leipzig. Football Insider can exclusively reveal. The the Bundesliga big hitters are in line to win the race for the striker in what is a huge blow to the Premier League club. So that's what we were reading uh, only a couple of hours ago. But since then, and it's uh, important to to show the other side of this whole story as well. Uh, there's been a tweet from Fabrizio Romano, who people laud as a transfer god. And Fabrizio Romano says the opposite. He says, following Balogun has received more than 15 bids as a free agent for next summer. His contract situation with Arsenal is still stalling, still complicated because he wants to play. But he does say that RB Leipzig have not made an official bid to sign Balogun of today. Um, so, you know, it, Romano says no. 
<laughs> Football Insider say that RB Leipzig are leading the race. I made the point about the squad thing and the fact that he wasn't involved in there. And Richard says he wasn't included in most squads before. I agree, Richard. But if you're trying to persuade this guy that he's going to get the game time that he needs, then surely you would have included him in that squad. That was kind of the point uh, I was going down. Check out Richard's podcast as well, over and over and over again. Um, another great Arsenal podcast. So do check that out. Um, Dan, are you reluctant to sort of read into to these reports? Are you Which way are you leaning? Do you lean towards what Fabrizio Romano is saying? Or are you more on the side of maybe that alternative report? I personally think that I think we'll we'll see Balogun leave, unfortunately. One of the important things to remember is that if he is to go this month, it will only be to a foreign club because of the transfer rules. You can't, you know, if you're a, an English-based club, they wouldn't be able to offer a contract to Balogun at this point. They'd have to wait until the end of the season. So at least we can go into it with some confidence knowing that if Balogun was to leave at this stage, it would be to a foreign club. It wouldn't be to a Premier League rival, for example. Um, but I'm not I'm not surprised there's, you know, as Fabrizio Romano says, there might be 15 bids for him. You know, he's a, a brilliant young talent. I, I watch him a lot at youth level and he's a prolific goal scorer and he's really highly rated at Arsenal, who are obviously desperate to keep him. But I do think, unfortunately, that it will be a case that he does leave. Do you think it is about the game time? Do you, you know, that's kind of the, the path we're being led down. Do you think that is what's dictating uh, whether or not the player is going to end up staying at the club? Yeah, definitely. He's obviously got, you know, the likes of Aubameyang and Lacazette in front of him and then look further down, there's Nketiah as well. Um, there's obviously been a few talks about Nketiah possibly going to West Ham as well. That may free up a space for Balakan. We'll have to wait and see if that happens. That's uh, a whole other topic. Um, but yeah, I think it definitely is about game time. I think especially if Balogun is looking at people like Emil Smith-Rowe, Bakaya Saka, who have come in and been given that chance and that opportunity and they've been trusted by Mikel Arteta and he's possibly feeling, you know, does the manager trust me? Does he have that belief in me like he does with the other young players? And that that can be, you know, really kind of debilitating for a youngster and possibly part of the reason why he does want to go. What do you make of Mikel Arteta's comments when he says the player wants to stay? Because I've, I've, I've discussed this, you know, time and time again over the last week and I've always said, well, ultimately, the the agent who is supposedly the problem here works for the player, doesn't he? If the agent uh, is is told by his client, "I want to stay here," then that it's the agent's job to do the deal. So, do you think that Fuller and Balogun is completely um, happy to stay at Arsenal? Or do you think that's Mikel Arteta just kind of trying to to deflect from the situation a little bit? Um, I think we've seen with Arteta in the past that he's very open and honest when it comes to his press conferences and what he says about players and about situations. Obviously, you know, he has to toe the party line in a way and the club will sometimes say to him, you have to say this, you have to say that. But I do think, you know, he, he is more open and honest than other managers might be. Um, in terms of the agent, it's inter interesting you mentioned that. Um, Balogun's agent is also the same agent for Reese Nelson as well and a number of other young Arsenal players. So, you know, there, there is a, a good open line of communication there. Um, I think it is just a case of the game time is the main issue. Um, I don't think, you know, it'll be anything to do with money or terms or the length of the contract. I think it is purely down to the opportunities that Balogun has not been given so far. Yeah, agreed. Because there's there's been a lot of talk about him supposedly demanding 100 grand a week. And that just feels like absolute nonsense yeah, to me. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and then to, to say that he's demanding 100 grand a week and then say he's going to join RB Leipzig is nuts because RB Leipzig are not going to pay. Uh, anybody a hundred grand a week, let alone uh, a young kid who's relatively unproven. Now, I'm with you. I think the guy's got talent. I, I would like to see him stay at Arsenal. I'd prefer to see him stay at Arsenal, but I'm not going to really lose sleep over it. I've got to be honest, if he does move on, because 
we haven't seen enough at senior level, in my opinion, for us to be literally, you know, tearing our hair out about the prospect of losing the kid. Yes, I think he's a talent. Maybe we'll regret it two, three years down the line. But I don't see it as as big a deal necessarily as some Arsenal fans uh, might say. Are, are you kind of of that same view or do you have a slightly different Yeah, I completely pattern? agree with you. It, it happens, doesn't it? I think part of the frustration with Arsenal fans is that we've seen it so many times in the past, you know, letting young players and even senior players like Van Persie, for example. But you think of people like Nabry, who we've let go on cheap fees and they've turned into world-class talent. I think that is part of the frustration because Arsenal fans have seen it happen time and time again. Um, but I agree with you. I don't, I'm not particularly going to be losing sleep over whether Balogun goes or not. As you say, I would like him to stay. I think he has got a huge amount of potential. But we've got so many good young players coming through at Arsenal. You know, we've obviously mentioned the likes of Saka and Smith Rowe and Ketia, Nelson, Willock. If you look further down, people like Charlie Patino, Amari Hutchinson. There's there's so many young players and there's such a bright future ahead for Arsenal. So, you know, losing one in Balogun, it would be, you know, be frustrating, but it's not the end of the world. Yeah, exactly. My thoughts exactly. Um, agreed. Big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat at the moment. I can see uh, right now live there are over 170 of you watching us across the multiple platforms and we're only 10 minutes in. So that's incredible. Thank you so much. If you are uh, watching us via the YouTube channel in particular, make sure you hit that like button on the video. It's so crucial in pushing the video up the rankings. Um, want to say uh, a big shout out to Liam Gardner, who's just joined the channel as a member just before we've gone live. So Liam, uh, thank you so much for your support, mate. And thank you uh, to Stephen as well, who's also signed up for the Chronicles of Aguna membership scheme. If you want more information on that, click the link in the description. It will take you to a page that explains the three tiers of membership available uh, and what you get for them. And if you want even more information, you can check out the introduction to a Chronicles of Aguna membership video, which we put out on Saturday, which explains why we've launched the membership scheme and what that will bring. Honestly, truly humbled by the number of you that have, have signed up since Saturday when we put this thing out. Um, it's incredible to know that so many people value our content uh, and have signed up. So thank you from the bottom of my heart, genuinely. Um, let's go over to the live chat box and see what the, you guys are saying with regards to Balogun. The Overlord of Procrastination. Excellent name. I love this. He says, um, Fabrizio Romano's tweeted that no bid has been made. I hope he's right. Losing this guy seems like folly of biblical proportions to me. Okay, that may be an exaggeration, but surely it would be nuts. Um... What else have we got here? There's lots, uh, lots of different comments here. Super Latour uh, says, what's the big deal about Balogun? Let's allow this little to go. We need a committed player. Uh, MB Gunafan says, Balogun could be one we potentially regret, but at the same time, as much as he has the ability and potential, we don't really know how he could potentially turn out. This is the thing, isn't it, Dan? Potential is only a thing if you fulfil it. If you yeah. don't fulfil it, then it means nothing, right? Yeah, well, you know, we talked about the players Arsenal have lost in the past, but then you've also got to think about the ones they've lost who've not, you know, not made a career and have not fulfilled their potential. There's so many of those, but people don't tend to remember or focus on them because they've not turned into world-class players or they've not, they've not, you know, become important players for other teams in the Premier League or elsewhere. So, yeah, I think that is an important point that, you know, you've got to remember with potential. It has to be fulfilled. It's not just this instant thing that is certain in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Matt Gray, one of our members, says it will be a shame to see him go. But if we aren't going to play him, I'd rather he leaves and fulfills his potential. That's an interesting outlook. Um, you know, 
genuinely wishing the player all the best. If it doesn't work out, Arsenal, it just doesn't work out. Uh, John says, I'm pretty annoyed about this. Uh, Iyere says, Harry, damn, Balogun going tears in my eyes. Uh, Anthony Osai says, if Balogun needs for RB Leipzig, I'm gutted. Ben Taylor says, I'm actually pleased that it's RB Leipzig. I'd accepted his leaving and would hate him to succeed at a Prem rival. We're bigger than Leipzig. Get him back if he performs. Lots of people sharing uh, their views. Um, Liam says, disappointed if we do lose Balogun without a fee, but it's hard to be too disheartened as I've not seen him enough to uh, seen him play enough to be able to judge the extent of his talent. So there is a very mixed sort of reaction to this news. You know, if this deal is going to go through, if he is going to leave the club and sign for RB Leipzig, it feels as though the, the fan base are a little bit torn on this, as they seem to be with so many subjects <laughs> um, over the last few years. Um, talking of, of subjects that have caused the divide, let's, let's quickly touch on Unai Emery's interview because Unai Emery uh, spoke to Chris Wheatley uh, from Football.London. He published the interview today and he made some, some interesting points. He denied that his uh, his English was a problem um, during his time at Arsenal. Now, Dan, me and you were both in press conferences, um, you way more than me, but you were in a number of Unai Emery's press conferences and they were difficult to make sense of. And it's hard to imagine that that didn't have an impact on him getting his message across to his players, right? Um, yeah, definitely. I, I don't. I don't want to seem, you know, like I'm slagging on Emery off. You know, he, he he did his best at Arsenal. He did what he could, and you know, things turned out how they did. Um, but to, for him, for him to say his English was was fine and was up to standard, I completely disagree. As you say, we've been in so many press conferences where you just don't know what he's talking about, or he's talking about something different to what you've asked. Um, I once asked him. I think it was after Sheffield United away last season um, about whether he knew what his best team was and whether. He'd, he'd got the best starting eleven that he wanted because, you know, there'd been a lot of chopping and changing in terms of selections. And he started talking about corners. So, <laughs> you know, there's, there was clearly, you know, a misunderstanding of the question that happened so many times. And I think, you know, he, he probably did try his best to learn English. And it's, it's a tough thing to do. You know, anyone who's learned a second language will know that. Um, but yeah, for him to say that, it, it does surprise me a bit. Yeah, yeah, me too. He also spoke about uh, Mesut Ozil a little bit. Of course, that was always going to be a question uh, thrown over to him uh, about, you know, how he sort of handled Mesut Ozil. And he said that he always worked very hard with him, tried to get the best out of him. Where are you on the whole Mesut Ozil thing, Dan? Do you feel like he is to blame for what's happened? Do you feel like the club need to shoulder some responsibility? Because we've not actually spoken about this. I, I was, I've been thinking about this the past few days. I, I, I had a feeling you were going to ask about Mesut <laughs> I have been giving it a bit of thought. I think in terms of who's to blame, I think it probably is a bit of, you know, Ozil himself and the club. Um, you know, Ozil comes in for criticism because he probably doesn't work hard enough. We don't necessarily see what happens behind the scenes, but you'd imagine that, you know, he's got that kind of laid back, relaxed attitude um, in training. Um, I spoke to... Uh, Charlie Gilmore, who used to play for Arsenal, he's now at Norwich, a former academy player. Um, I asked him about Mesut Ozil and he said, you know, off the pitch, he's exactly how he is on it. He's so laid back and relaxed. So you'd, you'd think that would kind of go into training and, and other things, you know, how he is around people at the club and stuff like that. But then you've also got to think that the club have somehow got to get it out of him and get him to work a bit harder. Um, you know, someone's got to get through to him and, and, you know, get him to put the effort in that is required because 
I think that is one thing we can all agree on. Maybe the effort has not always been there with him. So I think in terms of the way things have turned out at the moment, it, it, both sides have got to shoulder the blame, really. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I feel like the club probably didn't act in, in the right way or as I'd have expected them to act. But equally, you know, if the player is making it difficult as well, it just feels like to me, whoever's to blame, the best thing for us all now is to just draw a line under it and move him on. And I hope that the deal goes through now uh, rather than us having to wait for, till the summer because it's just going to be counterproductive, isn't it? I think, yeah, he's been kind of such a divisive figure. It feels bad to use that word because I don't think he's necessarily tried to be. But he, I think the whole situation, the saga around him has really divided the fan base. There's people who've stuck by us and people who've said, you know, we're, we're sticking with the club. But you've, you've got to remember the the adage of, you know, no player is bigger than the club. And I think that is an important thing to to note with Ozil. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's go back to the live chat box and get some of your comments. The comments are flooding in regarding our leading story this evening, which is uh, with regards to following Balogun. Andreas, uh, one of our members uh, out in Cyprus, he says, when a manager says that Arsenal wants you and mentioned that the player wants to stay, what else do you want, Balogun? Uh, <laughs> Arsenal granny. This name cracks me up every time I see it. Uh, <laughs> if he doesn't want to play for us, then goodbye. Um Louis Robson says Balogun could become a Haaland or an Mbappe if he leaves, depending on whether he can live up to his potential. I think that is a really premature statement. Uh, yeah. There's there's nothing to suggest that he would hit that level, is there? Um, well, I think you look at you know Mbappe and Haaland as an example. There, you know, when they hit the big time and they're you know doing what they're doing at PSG, Dortmund, Monaco, um, they they were younger than Balogun is now, you know. So I think Balogun's got a bit of a way to go if he has to reach that level. And I think it is a bit premature to say he can reach the level of someone like an Mbappe and a Haaland. You know, Mbappe is probably, what, top five, top three players in the world at the moment. And I think um, Haaland is a Ballon d'Or winning player in the making. So, yeah, there's a, a lot of way, a lot of, uh, a long way for Balogun to go to reach that. For sure. Uh, Ted says, 15 offers on the table speaks volumes. Let's not kid ourselves. Losing Balogun ranks closer to Gnabry than Akpom. <laughs> Good point. Um, uh, Giovanni says, I've just seen uh, Fab talking about Fabrizio Romano say the Balogun rumours are not true. I posted it in the Discord server for confirmation, Harry. Yeah, I, I've se we've, we've seen that, of course, that, that Fabrizio Romano has dismissed that there's an agreement in place with RB Leipzig. But I still think this is a valid conversation because it, there is still a very strong chance that Balogun will leave Arsenal Football Club uh, this summer, whether it's to RB Leipzig, whether it's to another team on the continent. To me personally, I wouldn't say it makes much difference. I'm not fussed where he ends up. It's just that... You know, we've we've got to accept, I think, that the way things are looking from the outside anyway, uh, a departure it seems the most likely outcome uh, of all of this. Um, Dan, let's move on to, to the improvement in Arsenal over the last few weeks or so. There's been a significant upturn, not just in the results, but in the performances yeah. as well. Um, a number of players have come into the side, particularly some of the youngsters. Do you think that that, that freshness has been exactly what we needed? And and is that is this form something we can maintain? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, as you mentioned, the youngsters have been key to that. Smith Rowe especially has kind of transformed the team entirely with his with his energy and his drive and his his you know willingness to get forward and be creative and link with other players. I think he's he's been the one who's really made the difference. Um, I've been a massive fan of his for a long time. I watched him 
probably three, four years ago, played for the under-18s um, in an FA Youth Cup tie, and he just ran the show. He was incredible. Uh, scored two goals, was just man of the match by far and away. Saka also played that night, as did Balogun, interestingly. Um, but yeah, he's he's been the real difference maker. And I think Mikel Arteta has said that as well. You know, he's been the one to make the difference. So really pleased to see him come through. And then Saka, obviously, who's... I think, you know, it's fair to say he's been a shining light throughout the season. Even when things have been bad, he's looked like the one who's going to make things happen, who's who's doing the most running, who's, you know, trying to get us forward. Um, but I think a lot of credit has to go to Pablo Mari as well. I, I don't think he's getting enough praise for, for how he's how he's done over the past four games that he's been in the team now. Only one goal conceded. And he's, you know, he's, he's someone who's, you know, in this day and age, you get kind of flashy defenders. Think of someone like Louise, who's going to try and play that 40-yard Hollywood yeah. pass. Or, you know, you know, you never know what he's going to do inside his own box. It might be a Cruyff turn. You just don't know with him. But but Mary's no nonsense. He's old school and he reads the game really well. He's not the quickest, but he always seems to be in the right place to make the interception or the block or the tackle. And he seems to have formed a really good partnership with Holding as well. They're not, not the most athletic pairing, but they're both reading the game well and they're communicating and getting into the right areas. So, yeah, as I say, I think Mary deserves a lot of credit for the turnaround as well. Yeah, I've I've seen quite a few uh, Arsenal fans on on social media over the last few days uh, talking about the fact that you know this report is is going around that says if he plays um, tomorrow against Crystal Palace, uh, Arsenal will be due to pay another one million euros or whatever it is to uh, to Flamengo. Now it just that that was the structure of the transfer, wasn't it? It's nothing sinister. I, I don't know why everybody is up in arms about it. It's, it's a pretty common way to do business nowadays, is it not? Yeah, I mean, you look at the Pepe deal, for example. I mean, it was what seventy-two million, but Arsenal, I think, only paid twenty-five million up front, and they're still going to have to pay that full total that they said they pay over the next however many years. It happens. It's the way clubs do it now. You know, there's not this immediate upfront free upfront fee for most transfers. You know, it's structured into instalments and bonuses and, and other things like that. And you know, if we have to pay a million if he makes one more appearance, and so be it. I think if you look at it this way. If it comes to the end of the season and, you know, we need three points to get into a European place and we've won those three points against Palace tomorrow and Mari's played and scored, you know, all kept a clean sheet. It's a million pounds that is going to turn into 25 million or however much you get for getting into the Champions League, Europa League. So, you know, it just happens. It is the way it is. Yeah, and Arsenal will have been well aware of that. I, 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 you know what's going to happen, Dan, if Gabriel comes back into the side tomorrow. <laughs> everybody will be saying that Arsenal is strapped for cash. Arsenal are trying to avoid forking out another million pounds uh, until next month, maybe. I don't know. Um, let, let's go back over to the live chat and see what you guys are saying on the Pablo Marie thing. Bad Boy says, big up, Dan. Uh, first of all, uh, the overlord of procrastination says, well said about Mary. He's been superb. Um Mr. A says, congrats to Mary. Solid backup left-sided centre-back, though. Nothing more. Mm, I, I think that he can be more. And, and you know, if you cast your mind back to... And let's let's keep it within the Emirates era. And let's not go further back than that. If you think about the Emirates era, I would argue that one of our best centre-backs was Per Mertesacker. Not particularly athletic, but he formed a really good partnership with Lauren Koscielny at a certain point, didn't he, Dan? And yeah. like you said, the reading of the game can often get you out of trouble, can't it? Yeah, well, you even think about Koscielny as well. He he was someone who we bought in, you know, it wasn't big money signing. It was from Lorient in the French second division. I don't think a lot was expected of him, but he really he developed into somebody who became a really important, reliable player for Arsenal. Yes, you know, his career... At, 
at Arsenal didn't really end how people would have wanted. Um, but he, he was probably our most reliable centre-back over the space of, of a decade, you could say. Um, but I, th- I think that's the other thing as well, the money with Maru. People, people aren't looking at him because he wasn't a big money signing. I think Arsenal are eventually going to pay around £12 million for him if you add up all the bonuses and everything like that. And it's in, in the modern climate, that's not a lot of money. So I think that's a lot, another thing that people maybe just see him as a backup because of that. But I think the way he reads the game, his understanding of the game and his experience as well. He's played in a lot of different countries, the Netherlands, Brazil, Spain, um, and now in England, of course. You know, he, he's got that experience as well. So I think he can turn into a really important player for Arsenal and, you know, a bit more than a backup. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, i got a question specifically for you, Dan. Uh, it comes from Ieri Ramsey. He says, question for Dan. What makes you so sure that Eddie can make it at Arsenal? I don't. Did you say that you were sure about that? But anyway, <laughs> as for younger stars, Eddie and Willock are strong average players. First of all, Dan, do you think that Eddie and Ketia can make it at Arsenal? He's had a little bit of stick lately. Yeah. It feels like a lot of that has just been born out of the Balogun story, though. Yeah, I think, yeah, as you say, born out of the Balogun story and, you know, probably the form over the past few months, obviously we've improved over over the past four games, but wasn't obviously wasn't great before that. Um, but I th- I think Eddie can make it at Arsenal. I think he's a really good finisher, really. I think you'd say he's more of a poacher than an all-round centre-forward. I think there's certainly a lot, of, a lot of work he has to do on his overall game. I don't think his link-up players at the same level as, as someone like Lacazette. Um, and I think that is an area he can improve on. I think if he does want to be a success, especially under Mikel Arteta, it needs to develop that all-round game and you know be more of a link-up striker and get involved in the overall play because that's something that Arteta really does require from his strikers. Um, but yeah, I think he's got the talent. And Willock as well. Um, I think he blows a bit hot and cold at times. He's been really good in the Europa League, but when he's been given his chance in the Premier League, he's maybe not done it. But um, I've seen both of them at youth level as well. And there, there is two really talented players there that they just need to be nurtured and given the opportunities. Maybe a loan move for both of them. I think especially Willock could, could really do with a loan move. Um, but yeah, I think they can both make it at Arsenal. I'm of a slightly different view. I feel like they're both going to be decent players who will play at a, a decent level. I just, I, I'm not sure that either of them have what it takes to get to the very top. And, and it's not that I don't want them to succeed because I do, uh, like every Arsenal fan out there, I think when you see your own uh, players yeah. develop and grow, you, you love that. You know, it gives you a buzz. It's just for me, like you said, I don't think Enketia's game has got all the, the kind of trimmings that he needs necessarily to be a top-class centre-forward. The link-up play is a problem. I think he does come alive inside the penalty area, which is great. Uh, but I think at the top level, you need more than that. With Willock as well, I agree with what you said about being given the opportunities in the Premier League and not necessarily taking those with both hands. And I guess the same could be said for somebody like Reese Nelson. You know, he got yeah, his chance. Right. He got his chance the other day in the FA Cup, obviously because of the circumstances around Gabriel Martinelli. Not ideal. He wouldn't have been prepped to start the game. And I totally take all of that on board. But having been having got that opportunity when you're someone who's waiting on the wings and someone who's waiting to cash in on you're you're almost if you're a a driven player you're almost waiting and kind of secretly hoping that something like that happens to get you in the side you know we've all been there even Sunday league football you know (laughs) you've you've looked at one of your teammates and gone you know what I'd rather play in that position I wouldn't mind if he was out today (laughs) Um, but, you know, having got that opportunity, I didn't think Reese Nelson, not just against Newcastle, I don't think he's taken those opportunities 
in the Premier League games, let's yeah. say. And that's that's my worry with those three, you know. When you compare them to Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe, the levels are different, I just think. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned about not taking the chances. They, they must be looking at people like Smith-Rowe and thinking, you know, we could be doing what he's doing. Well, well why haven't you? That would be the question, yeah. wouldn't it? So, yeah, they, they've got to step up more when they do get the chances. It's interesting that, you know, we're talking about this, can they make it Arsenal? I, I actually interviewed Eddie and Ketia. Um, at the start of last season. And he he spoke about that group of youngsters himself, Willock, Nelson, Smith, Rowe and Saka. And, and he said that he thinks the five of them and then the others that are coming through as well can be a golden generation for Arsenal. So there's that belief and confidence that they all can make it and they've all got the talent to be, you know, top quality players for Arsenal. So at least there is that, that they are determined and they have that belief. Yeah, yeah certainly. And that's half the battle, isn't it? It's yeah. half talent and half having the right mentality, I think. Um Stephen, one of our members, says, could we compete with Spurs for a Militao loan to buy to bring in another young centre-back talent or at least run the price up for Spurs? I don't think, Stephen, that Arsenal are looking at Militao, not to my knowledge anyway. Um, Dan, would you agree? Do you think? I don't think there's anything in that. Yeah, there was a, a bit of a sigh there for me. I think we we don't we don't really need another centre back, do we? We're, we're trying to offload as you know as many as we can at the moment. Socrates, Mustafi, obviously we just sent Saliba out on loan. So I think centre backs not really the priority at the moment. We've got the four four in at the moment: Gabriel, Louise, uh, Marion, Holding, who are doing a solid job as Chambers as well. Who I think a lot of people have forgotten about. Um, so I don't. Yeah, centre back is not needed. It's definitely not the priority at the moment. Yeah, I, I completely agree. A couple of comments in the chat saying. Um, that we're talking about youngsters, but we haven't mentioned Gabriel Martinelli. And the reason I haven't raised the point of Gabriel Martinelli is because he's one of the players who, in my mind, there is no doubt about it. He yeah. has got what it takes to to achieve brilliant things in the game. That's why I don't in, I don't include him in that bracket of Eddie Nketiah, Reese Nelson, um, Joe Willock. I have him at a higher level for me. Uh, do you agree with that, Dan? Uh, yeah, 100%. I think... Um... Arsenal have got a world-class player in the making on their hands. Um, you know, I think we were both there for his debut last season, weren't we? Yeah. And he just he just blew us away because this is a guy you've got, you know, you've got to remember he's, he's a teenager. He's come from a foreign country, didn't speak the language when he first arrived. And, you know, his experience was playing in the Brazilian sixth tier. I think we all expected he'd come in and play some games for the youth team, possibly go out on loan. But he's blown everybody away with, with the way he's come in and just grabbed games by the scruff of the neck and sometimes won them on his own or, or got points on his own. So, yeah, I think I'd agree with you in that he's he's miles miles ahead in terms of everybody else at the club in terms of youngsters. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's go to this question from Mr. A. He says, Harry, isn't how slow we are to make decisions worrying under this regime, Arteta and Edu? Surely this was a huge job because the manager had to make very good, smart decisions much quicker than this. I guess a lot of people have kind of got this impression of the Arsenal kind of set up at the moment because of maybe partly because of the Thomas Partey deal and the fact that it, despite being linked with him throughout the transfer window, it took until the last day for Arsenal to actually trigger that clause. Do you think that Arteta and Edu as a combination have been slow in, in, in reacting to stuff or do you think they've just got a massive job and it's a little bit harsh to be... I don't know, to pointing fingers at the specifics. What's your take on the pair? I, as a... I think the issue with the hierarchy is it's been the chopping and changing we've seen over the past three years. We've gone from, you know, Wenger and Mislintat being the two that were really making the decisions to the transfers, recruitment, things like that. And then obviously, you know, Wenger left, then Mislintat left, Rouse and Lee came in. 
Um, we've got Vino Venkatesham as well. Obviously, he's still there. Um, and now we're, we're with him and Edu and Arteta. So there's been so much chopping and changing in terms of who's in charge of getting recruitment and players in, players out. I think we just need for maybe two, three years to have a settled kind of, you know, settled hierarchy to to get things under control a little bit. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, let's uh, let's give a big shout out to everybody joining us in the live chat uh, at the moment once again. Um don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you smash that like button. I can see now uh, there are over 340 of you watching us across the multiple platforms. So welcome uh, to those who have joined us a little bit late. Don't forget, you can rewind it back later. Listen to it from the beginning and that way you won't miss a thing. Um, get your questions in the chat box. We're going to come to some more of those uh, in the next few minutes. I've had uh, a message as well on uh, how you can sign up to be a member of the Chronicles of Aguna channel. Uh, you can see the link in the description. If you just click on that, it will take you over to the page where you can see the different tiers, what they entail, uh, what you get out of them. And uh, if you fancy supporting the podcast, helping us to bring you more content, more improved content with fabulous guests like Dan uh, going forward, then please uh, check it out and uh, see what you think. Right, let's go back over to the live chat. Uh, Majid asks, do you think a director of football like Overmars or Monchi coming in and helping Edu would be a good idea? I, I think with Edu, the, the lack of experience is a bit of a concern. I don't think you want necessarily someone like Overmars or Monchi, who I think if they were to come in would be seen as his superiors in a way. They've obviously got that lot more experience. They've been around the game a lot longer in terms of being sporting directors, directors or technical directors. Um, so I think, you know, Edu needs to learn on his own. I don't, I don't, I don't think particularly having someone of the standing of those two that were mentioned is the way forward. Yeah, I agree with you. And I feel like somebody like Overmars or Monchi, if they did come in, uh, would, and look, Overmars has an affiliation with the football club. You'd like to think that he would be a little bit more suitable. But Monchi is someone who's been quite hit and miss in his career as well. He's he's found some really good players. He's, he's you know, helped create some really good teams. But there's also been a lot of poor under-par signings as well uh, from Monchi. And, and like you said, if he did come in, he'd come in likely as a superior. And sometimes too many chefs can spoil the broth, I think. And yeah. I like the fact, for all the things that we criticise Arsenal for as an organisation, I like the fact that our manager now has a say on what happens in the transfer market. I think yeah. we went from one extreme with Arsene Wenger, where he was in complete control, to the other with Unai Emery, who was telling the club he wanted Wilfred Zaha, got Nicolas Pepe, told him he wanted Stephen and Zonzi, got Lucas Torreira. So we've got, we went from one extreme to the other. And now I think we've hopefully, and only time will tell, found that middle ground. A lot of the players at Arsenal Football Club right now that many of us would like to see leave um, have come in, you know, prior to, to Mikel Arteta, prior to Edu in most cases. Um, I know a lot of people are going to start spamming the chat with the name Willian in a minute. Um, but yeah, that's uh, I I'm not sure if, if bringing in a director of football with Edu and Arteta calling shots would necessarily work. I mentioned Willian there, Dan. What's your take on Willian? Is he getting too much of a hard time from the fans? Because I feel like he's definitely not performed, but some of the abuse directed to him just feels a little bit over the top. Where do you stand on Willian? I know you're regretting the fact we brought him in. 
I'm so I'm so disappointed you asked me this question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I it baffles me. It baffles me as to why he was signed. Right, this this might be a bit of a silly way to look at it, and people probably gonna disagree with me, but I'm just gonna put it out there. So we've signed William from Chelsea, who you know is a player at the age of 32 is kind of on the downhill slope. You know he's not gonna progress and get any better. So firstly, why have we offered him a three year deal on the money he's on? You know, we're trying to ship off Mesut Ozil, who we made the same mistake with in a way. We put him on a on a big money contract for, what, two, three years. And, and we're still kind of, you know, struggling with that at the moment. And it's, I think it's going to be the same with Willian. I think we might see him stay for the three years of his deal and just run down his contract. And we'll probably end up wasting, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds. Um, and then the other thing is why I don't understand. I'd, I'd probably say the same with Louise as well. If we're trying to catch up, which I think we can all say we are with teams like Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Man United, even Spurs at this point, which it really pains me to say. What? Why are we bringing in players from the likes of Chelsea who Chelsea don't want and Chelsea don't see a use for? It just it baffles me. You, you've you've got to at the moment with the limit, limited finances as well, try and outsmart those teams and bring in players who who are younger and who've got more potential and and who you can see developing into top-class talent rather than bringing in these players who you could say are over the hill from from teams who we're trying to catch up who don't want them. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's a great point. And, and I agree with you. You know, you've got to outsmart these teams. And if you, and I always go back to this, but if you think back to 1997, what were we doing in the transfer market? We were outsmarting people by yeah. having a, a and I know times have changed and more clubs now have that sophisticated scouting network that, maybe didn't really exist in the Premier League back then. But you have to always stay ahead of the curve. That's the only way that you're going to compete on less finance. And you look at some of the clubs like, for example, you look at Leicester City and how they've competed over the last few seasons, um, you know, challenging for the top four. They haven't got the resource of, of some of the big boys in the Premier League. They've got resource like we do, but they've been very smart about how they've used it. And, you know, the, the signing of Willian, I've got to hold my hands up because at the time, my view was very much this. It was I probably argue that he's over the hill. But if we were going to go into the season relying on Bukayo Saka to play from one flank, a young kid, if we were going to look at some of the other options, the Reese Nelsons who you thought might have made a breakthrough this season, perhaps having that bit of experience in the squad, in the forward positions, as a backup to them, wouldn't have been a bad thing. But it was very much with the view of this guy's going to come in. He's going to be there to help support some of the youngsters. He's going to help us get through some difficult moments. But not with the view of him playing every single game. And, and under Mikel Arteta, he has played an awful lot of matches. I know lately he's not uh, been in the side. Obviously, he was ill and all of that. But it just the role that Willian is playing it just doesn't sit right with me at the moment. And add to that the fact he's not performing, you're sitting there scratching your head as to as to why we've committed ourselves to a three year deal. Three years is mental. I I could when it happened, I couldn't get my head around it. It just doesn't make sense. He's going to be 35 by the time he leaves. It yeah. just, it's it's mind blowing. Is I think Arteta, I think Willian said an interview that Arteta said he sees him in his long term plans that amount of time. But when you've you've mentioned the likes of Saka there, when you've got players like that coming through who have clearly got a lot more to give than William does, it just it doesn't make sense. You're you're limiting those chances as well for those younger players by committing to three years on William. And even even if you take him out of the team and take him out of the squad, you're still looking at paying 
you know, more than a hundred grand a week on his wages, even if he's not playing. It was my, it was mind boggling as to why it happened. Yeah, no, you're not wrong, mate. You're not wrong at all. Um, this one comes from Russ, uh, one of our members. He says, hi, Dan, loved all the work on the Guna fanzine channel. Are you guys going to start uploading stuff again soon? Uh, I'm not the man to ask with that, Russ. Um, I think you probably more want to direct that question to to Leif Youssef, who's a, who's the Guna editor. But you know, we have discussed it. We thought that you know, because of the pandemic and fans not being able to be there, it didn't necessarily feel like the right time to be uploading content like that. Um, so yeah, we're, we're we're hoping to get starting back soon. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But yeah, it, it's it's a lot of fun doing doing the Guna fanzine channel. Yeah, and it's from what I saw of it as well, it was brilliant. So uh, keep up the good work and uh, look forward to seeing it uh, back uh, sooner rather than later. Um, let's pick out a few more bits from the chat. Uh, Patrick asks, do you think Willian has something in his contract that says he needs to play a certain amount of games? Um, to my knowledge, I, I wouldn't imagine he does. Um I think, you know, the cert the certain amount of games thing is either in terms of if you're paying a transfer fee to another club, which obviously we didn't for Willian. Um and it would also be in terms of in Willian's case, if he was to play a certain number of games, he'd get a year's extension. But I think looking at his age, that's probably not in the contract we can we can assume. But yeah, not not to, not to my understanding. Yeah, I I agree with you. I don't think um I don't think that would be the case. I know there's been a lot of suggestions of that from from sections of the fan base, but I can't see Arsenal. I mean, surely we couldn't be that stupid to not just give him the three-year deal, not just pay him the wages we're paying him, but to give him a contract that specifies how many games he's going to play as well would be absolutely nuts. Um, a couple more comments on William before we move on. Cosmas uh, in Cyprus says when he arrived, he said he wanted to win the Champions League. Perhaps he was misquoted. And what he really meant was he wanted to win the championship. If that's the case, we should sell him ASAP. <laughs> um, some of you suggesting in the comments section that Papu Gomez of Atalanta is somebody that Arsenal should be looking to bring in. Now, we know that Papu Gomez uh, has had a falling out with Gasparini at Atalanta. I cover uh, a lot of Italian football, so it's a story I'm all over. Um, but my understanding is that Papu Gomez is likely uh, to go somewhere like Inter. Uh, Juve are rumoured to be interested as well. He knows the league. He wouldn't have to move country. And I understand that Atalanta would be looking for around about 10 to 11 million euros uh, for Papu Gomez, which certainly isn't major money for someone who's had a really good impact in, in that division over the last few years. So I don't expect him to be uh, staying at Atalanta, but I don't expect him to be moving abroad either. So we can um, put that one to the side. And plus, if you're complaining about Willian's age, then what do you want with Papu Gomez as well? Uh, <laughs> um, Dan, what's your thoughts on this uh, whole goalkeeping situation at Arsenal? Mikel Arteta almost uh, hinted, didn't he, the other day that Arsenal didn't really do what they wanted to do, having lost Emi Martinez in the transfer market. Kind of suggested that Renarsson was a bit of a we need someone to fill a gap kind of signing. Um, yeah. What's your what's your take on that? Are, are you do you see the goalkeeping position as a priority one, as a, an area that Arsenal should be looking to strengthen in this month? Uh, certainly, yeah, I think definitely they need to look to bring someone else in. You know, no disrespect to Arsenal, I certainly don't condone the abuse he received after that Man City game. I think he obviously shut down his Twitter account after that. That's not that's not on. That's not acceptable. You can't be doing that. Um, but I I don't personally think he's up 
up to the standard, especially when you compare him to someone like Emi Martinez. If you were to if you were to think, you know, if Leno suffered a similar injury now to what he did last season and Renato had to play for the for the remainder of the campaign, I think we would really struggle. Um and it's interesting you mentioned about Arteta saying he possibly, you know, wasn't the first choice hinting at that. Um Renarsson was basically signed on the recommendation of Inaki Kana, who is the goalkeeping coach at Arsenal. Um, and he, he'd worked with Renarsson before at one of his previous clubs. Um, but Kana also recommended David Raya, who is uh, Brentford's number one Brentford. goalkeeper. Yeah, who's, I, I think, from what I've seen, a, a pretty decent goalkeeper. You know, I think would be up to the standard of being a second choice. Arsenal were interested in him. I think there was an offer made of around kind of £10 million. Brentford wanted a little bit more that Arsenal weren't willing to pay, hence why Renarsson was signed. He saved a bit of money. I think his transfer fee was only around £1.5 million. So it saved Arsenal a big chunk of cash, which I think probably went on the Partey deal at the, in, the, in, the end of the, in the end of the window. Um, so, yeah, from what I understand, Renarsson wasn't first choice and they were targeting Raya ahead of him and that didn't come to fruition. So, um, yeah, I think it'd be. I think Arsenal need to look at someone in January and maybe send Renarsson out on loan because I don't. I don't think he's going to cut the mustard if he has to play more games than he is at the moment. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and some people suggesting that um, that the uh, the David Raya deal fell through, and that was why we ended up with Renarsson. Um, I don't know that for a fact, so I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna speculate on that. Um, Matt G says, I read that Matt Macy was sold permanently, not on loan. Anyone know if that's true? To my understanding, it was a it was a loan deal to Hibernian, right? Um, yeah, I think it was a loan deal. There was a bit of confusion over that. Um, obviously, his contract's up in the summer as well. So he's got six months left on his deal. So it'd be interesting to see what happens uh, then. Um, I think it probably is a loan deal. There has been that confusion. So uh, we'll have to get that checked and verified somewhere. Yeah, no, I agree. Um just going back to that Papu Gomez thing, because uh, one of the comments says that Atalanta have said they won't sell domestically. If you go back through Serie A history and pick out how many times a Serie A club have said, I will not sell to Juventus and I will not sell to Inter and I will not sell to Milan and they've been bullied into doing it, um, yep. you will find hundreds of examples. So <laughs> I won't read into that too much. Um, Wesbird Stanley, one of our members, says we need another goalkeeper ASAP, otherwise we're in trouble. So a lot of Arsenal fans concerned about that area. And like you said, if Bern Leno was to suffer the kind of injury he suffered last season, we could be uh, in a really, really shit position. Um, Dan, where do you see, where do you think Arsenal should be aiming to finish now? And and I know that we started the season in a really bad way. We've, we've lost eight games in the Premier League already, which is uh, shocking when you think about it. Now that we've picked up a few wins, where do you think that that Arsenal should be looking to, is it a case now of setting a target or is it a case now of being so far behind that we have to take every week as it comes? Um, uh, people are probably going to think I'm a bit mad saying this, but I'm going to go for it anyway. I personally think if you look at how congested the table is, I think top four is still a possibility. I yeah, think you possibility. Know, if, if we pick up points against the teams that are above us, and we've got a lot of those coming up soon. We've got a really tough run of fixtures. But if we can keep playing the way we're playing and pick up points, we'll start to close that gap. I mean, we're only three points behind Chelsea now, who were in title contention, what, two months ago? They've obviously yep. slipped in form and whatnot. But it's so congested in that top half of the table. 
that there is the opportunity to just shoot up if you can beat the teams ahead of you. So I think, you know, top four is a possibility. And as for setting targets, I'm more of a fan of taking it game by game, regardless of the situation you're in. I think you should always, always be looking at, you know, what's happening next rather than thinking for uh, by the end of the season, we should be here or by the end of this month, we should be there. I think you've got to take it every week as it comes. Yeah, I think that's the best approach at this point. Um, and, and when you look at the Premier League table, as you said, it is so congested. Just nine points separate Arsenal in 11th and Everton in 4th. And, you know, you you beat one of those sides. You take three points out of that gap automatically in one weekend. So, you know, it's not impossible. I, I completely agree with you. I think that's that would have been the aim at the start of the season. And I think until it's impossible, then that has to continue uh, to be the overall aim. But I also recognise that, it's been a, a, an up and down start to the season, mostly down. Um, and we need to acknowledge where we're at. There's always this argument amongst Arsenal fans that that really winds me up when people say, oh, it's, uh, it's people accepting mediocrity. It's not accepting it. You know, not, we've all lived through, most of us have lived through the Invincibles. Most of us remember Arsenal being at the very, very pinnacle of English football. We should have won the Champions League over that period as well. You know, that's probably our biggest regret. So it's not accepting mediocrity. It's just being realistic about where we are now. And people can't seem to differentiate between the two. Being realistic about the fact that Arsenal are not where they need to be now doesn't mean you're accepting of it. It means you just acknowledge it. And, um, you know, it, it just feels like the fan base are, are constantly looking for ways to, to fight with each other. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think we've, we've become, unfortunately, such a divided fan base. And I think, you know, maybe a, maybe a bit of unity would go a long way into seeing a turnaround in, in our standing in, in the European game and in English football. Um, you know, I've, at the moment, looking at the squad we've got, and, you know, the squad we've had over the past few years, I think to say that to be back in the top four, I don't think that's mediocrity by any standard. I think that's exactly where we need to be at the moment. And then, yeah. you know, we get back into the Champions League, we get the extra money that we've been missing for the past, what, three, four years. And then that gives you a solid foundation to build upon to maybe push for a title in, you know, four or five years time and then go on even further into Europe possibly. So, you know, I think we need to take it step by step rather than expecting this instant, you know, shooting back to the top because it's not going to happen. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, Born Cold-Blooded says, how long do you both think it would take for Arsenal to get back to the levels we should be at? Champions League and challenging for the Prem, giving Edu, giving Arteta and Edu are still in charge. I mean, considering we've said that um, the top four could still be on this season, then obviously that as an ambition, I think it is something that we should be looking at straight away. In terms of challenging for the Premier League, I still feel we're we're quite a way off that, and yeah. I, you know you don't. When you look at, and I always come back to this: when you look at the spending power, the sheer spending power of Manchester City, of of Chelsea, you know, who went out this summer and absolutely blew the transfer market to pieces, despite everything that's going on in the world. You know, Man United and are not weak in the transfer market; never have been, never will be, just because of their sheer size. You know, it all, when you take all of that into consideration, Arsenal are a massive football club. And of course, I'd love to see them competing for the Premier League title. But we have no divine right to be doing that, given yeah. the muscle of the other sides financially. Would you agree with that, Dan? Is it is it wrong of me to accept that, 
maybe challenging for the title is is slightly out of our reach as a football club right now. No, not at all. I think I think it's a long way off. And in terms of how many years it's going to take, it's difficult to put a number on it. But you're probably looking at what seven, eight years. You know, maybe even longer than that. I think we talked about outsmarting the market earlier, and you mentioned the spending power of other teams there. And I think you know, following the model of someone like a Dortmund or a Leipzig in Germany, who've been able to become challengers and get into Champions League places by being clever and not spending big fees on players and, and going out and actually finding you know young talent and, and players who have gone a bit under the radar uh, is, is the way forward. And we need to do that a bit more. And I think a bit of concern around, you know, this, obviously a lot of scouts lost their job over the past year. And I think that is a bit of an issue that, you know, might see us fall down in that regard. But I think we do have to follow that kind of model of the teams I mentioned to get back to where we all want to be. Yeah, for sure. Um, like it's got to be done in a smart way. You know, nobody's yeah. going to Stan Kroenke's not going to come and say, and he neither can he because of obviously the financial fair play regulations. But he, he, forget that he wouldn't come to the club and say, "Here you go, guys. Here's my checkbook. Open checkbook. Do what you want." It's not going to happen. And when your owner isn't someone like Roman Abramovich, who for all his faults actually cares about what the football club achieves. You know, same with the Manchester City owners. They're ambitious in what they want the club to achieve. That's the difference. They don't have this cl- their club as a business, as a cash cow. It is a hobby for somebody who's got yeah. way too much money and doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> um, yeah. Carrie Tanninen asks this one. Should Arsenal sell Bellerin or Xhaka to raise money for more quality players? I'm I'm always getting criticised because I defend Granit Xhaka quite a lot. I also defend Hector Bellerin because I don't think he's anywhere near as bad as, as some Arsenal fans make out. Yes, he has bad games. They both do. But where are you on these two players? And would you be looking at potentially trying to raise some funds from either? Um, I think we'll, we'll start with Bellerin. I think having a player like Bellerin in the squad is important. And I agree with you. I don't think he's anywhere near as bad as people say. Um, but you've got to remember he's an Arsenal man. He's come up through the academy and he understands the ethos of the club and the history. And that's, that's important to have. You need players like that. And that's why I think having Arteta and Edu in the hierarchy is important as well, because they're Arsenal men, you know, they know about the club and everything that's gone on in the past. Um, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be selling Bellerin at this point. And I think having someone like Maitland-Niles as well is a good backup, you know, another Arsenal man who's come through the academy. So yeah, Bellerin is a player I'd keep hundred percent. Xhaka, I'm unsure about. I think the issue with Xhaka is that he's, you know, he one week he can be brilliant. You look at the Chelsea game, for example, he was fantastic. I think we can all agree on that. But then you look at the week previous, you know, where he got himself sent off against Burnley. He just needs to somehow get that naive, immature streak out of him that he's got that we've seen multiple times in the past. I think there's a talented footballer in there. Um, he just needs to maybe sort his head out and get his mindset right. The only other concern I have with him is the pace that he plays at as well. You know, I think he gets bypassed a lot of the time by opposition players because he's not necessarily, you know, got the same athletic ability that other midfielders in the Premier League have. Um, as for if I'd sell him to raise cash, I don't know how much money you get for him, to be honest. I think we'd probably make a loss on what we paid for him. It was around £36, £37 million. Pounds. So, yeah, I think he is. A, he can be an important player. He's just got to sort out the problems in his game. Yeah, you're right. Those those moments do occur with Granit Xhaka and, and whenever you feel like he's turned the corner, another one comes and it just yeah. kind of knocks him back a little bit. Um, I, I do think that the whole issue that went on when he was the captain and all of that stuff in that game against uh, Crystal Palace was 
has has led him to the point where mo- there are a lot of fans who just are sick of the sight of him and will never actually fairly judge his performances based on what he does on the football pitch and will always be looking for that slip up uh, to get um, to get you know to get onto his back. Yeah. So um, you know there are there are issues uh, there, of course, as well. <laughs> you, you've got to remember as well. He's I think he's played more minutes than anybody else under Mikel Arteta, so he clearly sees him as a really important exactly. player. And- Someone who's key to his plans. Exactly. That is a that is a really uh, a really key point. Uh, Sonny, this comment from Sonny, Harry, you wouldn't settle for an ugly woman who can cook and nags you. Moral of the story is never lower your standards, but up your approach in a minefield. Out there, I'm not even going to answer that one because I'm going to get myself just in trouble. leave it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll get myself in trouble. Uh, Mikey Caves says, question for you, Harry: If you could bring back one player for Arsenal, who would it be? Are you talking about? Uh, ex-players um, or are you talking about sort of from uh, players that we've let go if you're talking about players of all time then right now I'd be bringing in Thierry Henry because we need someone um, capable of just winning games on his own basically um, and that's what Thierry brought to the table fantastic player for me in my lifetime I know a lot of people will, will argue Dennis Burkham, but for me Thierry Henry greatest ever Arsenal player um, right I think we're going to leave it there Dan um, we're coming up to an hour. We've taken loads of your questions, loads of your comments, loads of your thoughts. Fantastic stuff. Uh, start spamming the chat box. Where is it that you are joining us from so we can give you a shout out uh, before we lock off? Don't forget, if you haven't already, like the video, subscribe to the channel if you're new. If you're listening to us via the podcast, make sure you leave us a review. Uh, that is really, really important. Make sure it's five stars and make sure you leave a comment as well because that helps. Not that I'm putting you under any pressure. Uh, but get involved um keep supporting the podcast if you want to become a member uh, click the link in the description for more information on that you'll get the information on the uh, tiers that are available and then you can decide uh, which if any of those appeal to you and uh, if you do join we'd uh, love to have you and have you in our discord server where we are talking arsenal uh, around the clock at the moment uh let's say a big hello to Patrick joining us from South Africa. Ray is in Jamaica. Russ is in Slough. Uh, Mikey Cave is in uh, Birmingham in the UK. He says he's liked and subscribed. Thank you very much, mate. Akshat joins us from India. Don Juan joins us from Brixton. Uh, Patrick Carlson is in Sweden. Matt's in South London. Uh, Louis Robson is in Sunderland. And big up, Harry. Excellent podcast. Good work, mate. Thank you so much. Mr. AFC's in Billericay, Essex. Uh, Matt wants to thank Dan for his insight. So thank you, Dan, uh, for that. Uh, Ashton joins us from Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, Let's pick up a few more. We've got Albert in Chicago. Niall Lewis in Orange County, New York. Um, Clearwater. Christian Hoover's in Clearwater. Rydog's in Canada. Um, And I think... We'll leave it there. Let's pick up one more. Coleraine, Northern Ireland. There you go. Thank you all so much for joining us. My thanks to Dan as well. Dan, how can people follow you on social media and keep up with your excellent work? Um, t- Twitter for me, only Twitter, um, at JournoDanM. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. That's where I post most of my stories, information, stuff like that. So yeah, come and give me a follow. It'd be greatly appreciated. Brilliant. Make sure you do give Dan a follow. I'll add that uh, link in the description as well uh, to make it easier for you guys. Make sure you follow Dan. Make sure you follow the Guna fanzine. Make sure you're following the Chronicles of Aguna as well. We'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal content. Until then, take care. Stay safe.
You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.